0: Hello, my name's Rachel, and I'll be doing the second Bible reading for today. It's from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. So, If you open up your Bibles, um, starting at the start of the chapter. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Well, good morning, friends. My name's John. It's good that you're here to study Exodus with us, and uh, we've been going through Exodus so far, and hopefully you've seen how Exodus, though written so long ago, is so relevant for us. Now, over the next few weeks, let me encourage you, the, the readings will get longer, and so let me encourage you in your own devotion, uh, read ahead, because when we come together, we, we may not read all, uh, all the chapters together, so read ahead. Let's pray, and we'll consider this. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this story so long ago, help us to see that you are the same God who ruled and reigned back then, and the God who continues to rule and reign today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the big questions of life, a question that I'm sure many of us were thought deeply about, it's a question that for thousands of years, it's been a source of confusion, perplexity, Bewilderment. It's a question of identity. Who am I? Who are you? How would you go about answering that question? Who are you? I mean, how do we go about thinking about our own identity? And so, how would you go about introducing yourself? Am I what I eat? Or how much I eat? Am I, do I define myself by my gender? My sexuality? Am I my job? My career? Am I my ethnicity? My culture? Am I my relationships? Son, father, husband? Am I my successes, achievements, status, possessions, hobbies, interests? I mean, when you go to introduce yourself, what will you say? Perhaps most of us will say some combination of those different categories. And we're close enough, I might even you know, disclose my weight as well in that. How do you introduce yourself? You see, our identity is in fact bound up with our purpose. It's important. And that's why we need to know, who am I? Who are you? And if anything, our world today, as you consider what is happening in our world we're more confused than ever because we're told by our world, you can just be you. You can be whoever you want. You can choose who you want to be. You can define yourself, whatever you want. In fact, you can even change yourself, change your name, change your gender. But also, our world says, you can't just do whatever you want. You have to conform. You have to just be like us and not like them. And then people go about reinventing themselves, changing this day I'm this and that day I'm another. We change our wardrobes, we change where we live, we change our careers, we change our diets. And you wonder why our world is so confused and anxious and all angst about even who we are. Do we know who we are? I mean, we spend our lives, our efforts, our money, our our consciousness just to find ourselves But who are we at our very core? Is it just a combination of those categories? Because I suspect this is true. It's disturbing, it's unsettling, and it's frightening. But I do wonder how many live their whole lives but die not really knowing who they really are. And so when we come to this part of Exodus, it's sort of what we need to see It's sort of like a story of Moses finding himself. You see, for 80 years, he's about 80 years old by the time we get to Exodus chapter 3. For his first 40 years, he had it all. He had all the privileges in the world, honour, wealth, a prince of Egypt, raised as somebody he thought I was a man of significance. But then for the second 40 years of his life, he lost it all. He's been wandering in the wilderness as a shepherd. Yes, he got married, had children, but he's lost all significance. Rejected by his own Hebrew people. Wanted dead by his adopted people, the Egyptians. And in a sense, he's been running away for 40 years already. And by this point, I've become a nobody. I've lost everything and I belong to no one. Now, perhaps it didn't bother Moses much at this point. He was just minding his own business this day, made the most of it, just get on with life, and that will be his path. He would just continue down the years in the wilderness, eventually pass away and forgotten, just like any other man. But who are you, Moses? And so that's the sense we get here. And so the picture painted in verse 1, is just tending the flock of Jethro, Leading the flock to the other side of the desert, going through the wilderness. It's in a sense like a metaphor of his life so far. A picture of him wandering around like a lost man with no purpose, no significance in the wilderness. I'm just wandering around. Who am I? Why am I here? I don't, I don't know. Perhaps it's also a picture, by the time we get to verse 1, a picture of some people even here, some of us. Or how we may grow old. You know, I've just resigned myself. This is life. I'm retired now. I'm just wandering here. I'm wandering there. Today's the same as yesterday. Tomorrow will be just as boring. And, or perhaps I'm just running away from something in life. What have I done with my life? Why am I here? Who am I? You see, this day was important for Moses. Because before that day... He was a lost man, except what happened that day. In this little detour, he ended up at the mountain of God. He encounters God. God brought him, after 80 years, finally, to right where God was, and it was no accident that day. And so look at verses 2 and 3 with me. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up, it was not consumed. And so Moses thought, "I will go over and see this strange or this great sight, why the bush does not burn up." And so we hear about the burning bush, don't we? But in fact, it's really the bush that was not burning. It wasn't burning. Now, why did God choose to reveal himself to Moses in such a way? A bush that was not burning with flames and fire. Well, we hear in the scriptures, God is described as a consuming fire. It's to capture that sense of glory, power, beauty. Fire draws him near, but yet not too close. Don't come too close because it's dangerous. You'll be burnt, you'll be consumed. I mean, think of mosquitoes flying close to a bushfire. You'll be just gone, disintegrated. And so here that day, Moses encountered God. He was confronted by the holy God and the faithful God. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. Now, you you probably picked this up. At this point, it'll be worth reflecting just briefly here what was, in fact, happening. Because who appeared to him? In in verse 2, we're told it was the angel of the Lord. But now in verse 4, we're told that God speaks from the bush. So who was it? The angel or God? Well, you see, the angel of the Lord is identified as God himself and often used interchangeably. We see this throughout the Old Testament. The word angel simply means messenger. And so what was perhaps happening was the invisible God manifesting himself in some visible way somehow. Perhaps he hinting at the need of some mediator between God and man. In fact, some scholars here try to say that it's perhaps the pre-incarnate Christ, but I don't think we can say that with any certainty at this point. But what we can say with certainty... Was that Moses was in the very presence of God. And that's why we read in verse 5 God says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The place, the ground, the mountain, in fact, you are standing on is holy simply because that was where God was, the mountain of God. Now, holy means to be set apart, to be separate. And so God is separate, he's set apart, he's he's different, he's distinct in his righteousness, in his purity as creator. And so even the ground Moses was standing on, that was holy. And so what God was saying here was to Moses, you cannot approach me any way you like. You can't just come to God any way you please. You approach God on God's terms. And so Moses, take off your sandals. And don't come too close, otherwise you'll die. And there's that sense we're meant to capture here, that sense of reverence in the presence of God. And I do wonder whether today, with you know, evangelicals just like us, whether we've lost this sense of the reverence of God. God is holy. We sang about God before: holy, holy, holy. Even the cherubims will hide their face from God because he is that holy. I mean, we're not meant to treat God lightly or flippantly. You don't muck around with God. But yet, you know, even amongst Christians, sometimes we hear about how Christians speak about God. He's my friend, he's my buddy. We must have reverence for the holy God. I mean, you think about what happened with those in power in the ancient world. In China, the emperors of China. What happened when you came into the presence of, of the emperor? When you come into the presence of the emperor, you have to kowtow and you have to proclaim thousand years upon thousand years upon thousand years. You had to do that. You couldn't even, a commoner could not see the face of the emperor, otherwise he would die. But here we're talking about God. And that's why I look at what Moses did. Verse 6 He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And so that day, you know, 40 years in the desert, wandering around. But that day he encountered the holy God. And now God discloses to him his faithfulness. Even after 400 years, I have not forgotten my promises, Moses. And so verse 6, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now do you notice the tense of the verb there? God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. And then he died, he passed away. God said, I am, present tense. I am the God of Abraham. Now, why is that important? Well, what was being highlighted here is that God remains still now, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Though those guys, those forefathers, have been dead for hundreds of years, Yet they continue to enjoy a fellowship, a relationship with God even now because God is the covenant-keeping God. Even after they have died, they continue in relationship with God. The covenant promises remained live and not forgotten. And God is saying, I have not forgotten and I'm about to act. I've seen the misery of the people. Now how will God rescue his people? Look at verse 10 so now go I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt now what was God doing here at this point well God was actually making clear to Moses now you are ready you weren't ready when you were 20 years old when you were in the courts of Pharaoh had power and everything you certainly weren't ready when you were 40 when you took matters into your own hands and and you killed a man You weren't ready when you were 50 or 60 or 70, but now that you're 80, now that you're humble enough, now that you're broken enough, now that you finally discover that you're in fact a nobody, I'm sending you now. Now at this point, you want to put yourself in the shoes of Moses. Think about him for a little bit. I was just minding my own business. I was just looking after the flock and going around and this is my life and that's it. There's nothing more I I need. I can retire. This is me. But on that day, he learned who he truly was when he encountered God. You see, there's a very important truth here that we need to learn. And that is, we will not really know who we truly are. Who we really are to our core until we encounter God. Until we can encounter God, we will not be able to find ourselves. You see, you learn something about God and you actually learn something about yourself. And unless we come to God and encounter God, we will not really know ourselves to our very core. And so, if God is creator, what does that mean? I'm creature. If God is master, what does that mean? I am servant. If God is father, what does that mean? I'm child. I'm a child. I'm his child. If God is independent, self-sufficient, it means that I must be dependent upon him. If he's holy, it means that I'm grossly unholy. You see, if I don't know God, then I'll have all distorted views of myself. I don't really know who I really am. If I do not know God. If I don't know God, then I will either have too high of an estimation of myself, or I will think, I'm not that bad. I'm a decent human being. I live my life. I work hard, I'm I'm kind, I'm gentle. I, I may even flatter myself sometimes. But when I am confronted by the holy God, then I kowtow. I hide my face. And I realize how unworthy I am, just like Moses. It's a bit like how Peter responded. Remember the story of Peter and Jesus. When he discovered who Jesus was, what did Peter say? He fell at the knees of Jesus and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, in the presence of God, he came to know himself, a sinful man. So we either have too high of an estimation of ourselves or we have too low of an estimation of ourselves. We might think, oh, I'm just so unworthy. I've hurt so many people. I'm broken, I'm messed up, I've stuffed up my life. I'm, I'm just like one of the animals. But when you're confronted by the God who made us in his image, then I discover, in fact, I've got a dignity and worth That I could not find in my career, in my wealth, in my achievements. I've got a dignity and worth because God made me in his image to be with him, to relate to him, and to bring him glory. That's how I find my true self. You find God and you find yourself. And you find yourself in the purposes of God. It's why our world is so confused because if we disconnect ourselves from God, we will not know who we really are. We try to find our identity from within, but it's looking in the wrong place. It's rather the great reformer, John Calvin, he begins his excellent work, the Institutes, he said this in chapter 1. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. I will never really know who I am until I come to know God. And on that day, Moses encountered God and he finally found himself. And the rest of this passage, he's wrestling with that. He's asking questions, three big ones. Who am I? Who are you, God? And then why me? Who am I? Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Who am I? You see his question. It was a question about his identity. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's saying to God, I'm a nobody in the middle of nowhere. How could I go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world? Why would he listen to me? Why would the Israelites listen to me? They don't want anything to do with me. And how did God answer that question? Well, God didn't say, oh, you're so special, Moses. You're such a special man. You're such a gifted guy. You're raised in the Egyptian courts. You've got world-class education. I couldn't do it without you, Moses. I really couldn't. Just believe in yourself, Moses. You can't do it. Set your mind to it, and you'll be able to achieve it. You're the best, Moses. Was that what God said? I mean, that's how we raise the next generation. You hear that all over the place. Oh, you're the best. Just set your mind till you do it. I mean, we'll raise, we'll raise a generation that will be disillusioned. But how did God answer that question? Who am I? Verse 12. I will be with you. How's that an answer? What did God mean? Now, I reckon this is extremely fascinating. You see, it was far more important for Moses. You don't even need to know who you are, Moses. You just need to know that I'm with you. Your identity, Moses, is bound up with mine, with me. You are one of mine. That's who you are, and I'll be with you. You see, what Moses required was not a high self-esteem or a greater self-confidence, but a deeper sense of the presence of God. I will be with you, Moses. And so who I am, who I am as a person, is in fact bound up with whose I am. Do you get that? Who I am is bound up with whose I am, who I belong to. Now at this point, we have to appreciate how much of a shock this would have been for Moses. Again, he was just tending sheep. He was just going around his business and he could retire and die soon. But now he turns the question upon God. Well, who are you, God? Look at verse 13. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? You see, it's a question about your identity now, God. Who are you? Who are you to send me? And now we come to the key verse of this entire book. God reveals his name. God reveals who he is. One theologian said, The entire Exodus narrative is an exposition, is an explanation of the name of God. So what's God's name? Verse 14. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now that verse alone is worthy of a library of books just to explain it. But what did God mean? Now we have names. Our names are what you call what? Proper nouns. John, Pete, Josh, proper names. But God's name, it's in fact a verb, a present tense verb, the verb to be. I am who I am. Strange. Now why? Well, it's to say that God is who he is. It's saying that God is not defined by anything outside of himself. He's not dependent upon anyone. He's unconstrained. He's absolutely free. He's self-sufficient. He's eternal. He always is. He's not in the past. He doesn't change. He is ultimate reality. He just is who he is. He's not a maybe. He is. You see, in the Hebrew, it's interesting to, to, to see what's happening in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. The word Yahweh is the verb to be, I am. It's a verb. It's the present tense verb. And so God, Yahweh, I am who I am. And so what God is saying to all humanity, if that is who I am, you don't get to make up who I am. You don't get to think or decide, I want God to be this or that. In fact, it's an offense to God for anyone to say, I like to imagine God to be... The grandfather bearded Santa Claus. I like to imagine God to be the loving one without any anger or wrath or judgment. I like God to be the one who's never a killjoy. Not at all, not at all. You can't do that. God says, I am who I am. You don't get to think, you don't get to decide, you you don't get to define who I am. You just have to accept, I am who I am. I have always been who I am, and I will always be who I am. In fact, there's some ambiguity here with the tense of the verb. It can be taken as the present tense. In fact, it can also be taken as the future tense. And so if you look at the little footnote in in Exodus 3.14, in the NRV you'll see it, or many of the other translations you'll see it, it could also be taken as the future tense. And that is, I will be what I will be. And so God is, in a sense, inviting, you want to know who I am? Well, come, watch and see who I will be. It's the covenant name of God. And so Moses, go to the Israelites and say to them, I am have sent you. And so what did Moses do now at this point? He's discovered who he is. He's now learned who God is. What does he do now? I mean, is he, is he over the moon? Yeah, he, God picked me. Out of everyone, he picked me. Well, not at all. He's questioning God. Why me? In fact, he whinges and complains and whines to God, which is fascinating. You wonder why he wasn't consumed by God at that moment. And so he, he questions, why me? What if they don't believe me? In verse 1, chapter 4. I'm not a great public speaker, though he didn't have any problem complaining to God. And then please send someone else, verse 13. But you see, in God's sovereign purposes, God had prepared him for that very moment. He's the man. Forty years, he was raised thinking he was somebody. The next 40 years, he finally discovered he was a nobody. And then for the next 40 years, he'll finally come to learn what God can do with a nobody. God had to do a work in him before God had a work to do through him. He thought, I can't. And he was right. But his deficiency was God's sufficiency. His deficiency was God's sufficiency. And Moses will see the power of God at work through him. The staff to a snake, the hand leprous, nile to blood why how god says i will be with you you see that day was an important day an experience for moses that he had to have to find who he was his identity and to find his purpose no longer a wanderer just wandering through life i'll grow old and retire and then die but he found himself and his purpose in God's purpose for him. And so now I'd like to return to the question I asked you at the beginning. Who are you? Who am I? How would you answer that? Because, you see, we don't really, truly, deeply know who we really are at our very core until we have all encountered God. We will remain lost in this life until we do. We might describe ourselves of all sorts of categories: age, weight, job relationships, but we are far more significant than all of that. And it's only when I see myself in relation to God that I find my true place. And so the question is, have you encountered God? Have you encountered the God of the Bible? Have you come into the presence of God in awe and terror, the consuming fire? Have you been gripped ever? I mean, you may come to church week in, week out, Bible studies, but have you been gripped by the glory, by the beauty, by the power of God who is a consuming fire? And have you found yourself? You see, my identity is bound up with God. Knowing myself, who I truly am, to my core, comes from knowing God. And it's God who defines me. I don't define myself. Now this does not mean then that we need to wander around in the wilderness and wait for this burning bush experience. Because you know what God has done? About 1,500 years after that burning bush experience. There came a man in Palestine. He was debating with the religious leaders. And what did he declare? What did he proclaim? In John he said, I tell you the truth before Abraham was born, I am. We don't read here Before Abraham was born, I was, but I am. Now, what is that meant to bring to mind? It's meant to bring to mind that God has finally come to earth. The one who said, I am who I am, I will be what I will be, has come to earth. And who is that? It is his own son, Jesus Christ. Coming not in the ambiguous burning bush or the bush that was not burning, but as a man. You see, Jesus declared, I am who I am. I am that eternal God, that self-sufficient God, but God incarnate. And that is my name. It's why when you read in the New Testament, when Jesus is addressed by the Apostle Paul, Lord Jesus... Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, in our English NIV anyway, the word, the name Yahweh is often translated with Lord in capitals. And so in the New Testament, we find Lord Jesus, Yahweh Jesus. And so the question is, have you encountered God? Because to encounter God is to encounter Jesus. God made himself clear, not in a burning bush now, but in Jesus. And I don't mean to encounter Jesus means I've read a bit about him, but I closed the book. I thought about him, but then that thought disappeared. Or I consider him twice a year, Easter and Christmas. No, to encounter Jesus is to encounter him in the Gospels. He's come dressed to us in the Gospel. And when I come to know Jesus, just like Peter... I'll be falling at my knees and say, away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. If I come to really know Jesus, I'll be like Thomas who also fell on his knees and he said, my Lord, my Yahweh, and my God. And then I find myself. And then I find my identity. And what do I find if I trust in him? I find that I am his. I belong to him, loved, cherished, purchased by his blood and known by him. I'm a child of God's. That's my identity. And you see, that identity never changes. Doesn't, doesn't shift, doesn't change. It's not fluid. It's not fickle. It's not one day this and that day another. And I don't need to reinvent myself. I have found myself. In fact, I've found myself in Him. I've become a child of God. And so, just like Moses, when he found himself that day, or when God found him, he finds his purpose in life. And that's exactly what happens when we come to confront and to encounter and to meet Jesus. We, in fact, find our purpose in life. Moses was sent off to be the deliverer of the people of God. Those who come to know Jesus, they are sent off to point the world to the deliverer, Jesus himself. Wasn't that what Jesus said? Go and make disciples of all nations. But then what did God promise Moses when God sent him? What what did God say to Moses to give him comfort? What did God say to encourage him when Moses asked, who am I? We may ask that same question to to the Lord. Who are we? We're just fickle human beings. Who are we to do anything? Who are we to use our words to bring salvation to the lives of the lost in this world? Who are we to go and make disciples of all nations? Who are we? Well, what did God promise? What did Jesus promise? Go and make disciples of all nations. And those same words, I will be with you until the very end of the age. We say, but I'm weak. I will be with you. We say, I'm afraid. I will be with you. We say, I can't speak. Who am I? I will be with you. We say, I can't. But Jesus says, I'll be with you through all of life's ups and downs, through your successes, through your failures, through your suffering, through your persecution, through your cancer, through your doctor's appointments, through your surgery, through your grief, I'll be with you even through death. And so we discover ourselves. Who am I? Who am I is bound up with whose I am. I belong to Christ. He defines me. And Jesus says, you find your identity in me. And when you do, you are found finally. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider even the story of Moses, how lost he was, but yet found by you. Help us, Lord, to see that in our lives that we don't wane and are fickle and come here and there without knowing who or why, but that we come to Jesus and find our identity, find who we are in him and our purpose in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.